the History Channel original podcast. History this week. Or actually, history tomorrow. On Saturday, May 6th, Charles III, the former Prince of Wales and the eldest son of Queen Elizabeth II, will be crowned King of England. His wife, Camilla, will be crowned queen. Now, Charles has technically been king since Queen Elizabeth died in September. But during Saturday's coronation, the crown will physically be placed on his head in a formal ceremony that has been happening for centuries. This event is just brimming with history, from the venue and the ritual to the fascinating and sometimes strange traditions that accompany the crowning of a king. So as history unfolds before our eyes, we wanted to talk to an expert who could tell us all about what to expect from this coronation, the old and the new, what it will look like and feel like, and what the mood is like in London as the United Kingdom gets ready for an event it hasn't witnessed in more than 70 years. Katie Nichol is Vanity Fair's royal correspondent. She's the author of The New Royals and also co-host of the Vanity Fair podcast, Dynasty. All right, Katie Nichol, welcome to History This Week. Thank you very much for having me. It is indeed a historical week. It truly, truly is. And in fact, I was going to say, we are a history podcast, but this moment, it almost, it feels like history is just unfolding in front of our eyes in the present moment. And I know that, in fact, your writing and reporting are really focused on the royal family as it exists today. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, you're coming from a palace briefing right now? Yes, I've just just come out of a palace briefing where we've had more details about the coronation and the ceremony, all of which I'm afraid is embargoed, but you can read about it in my report of Vanity Fair um, over the coming days. But uh, suffice to say, I think as you would expect of an occasion like this, it has been planned in the most meticulous detail. It's going to be absolutely sensational. I mean, there's a total of 10,000 troops, both from the UK and overseas, who are going to be involved in this coronation. And that procession of military will be one mile long. It took them two runways to do a practice of this. So I think even compared to the procession for the Queen's funeral, which is, I think, probably most fresh in people's mind, this is on an even greater scale. So it, it is a truly historic moment. And I think, obviously, it'll be, it'll be monarchists and royalists who will tune in to watch it. But I, I do think people will be interested in it because I think it's, it's just a rare moment. It's, it's something that most of us have never seen or experienced in our lifetime. Yeah, it, it's true that most people in England have not seen a coronation in their lifetime. In fact, the most recent coronation was of Charles's mother, Queen Elizabeth II, and it was way back in 1953. She was 27 years old. And let's, let's talk about that context. What was her coronation like? Well, it was, it was an incredible moment for Britain. It was a few years after the war, so you still had a, a very much war-ravaged United Kingdom. And it's hard to imagine what Britain was like in those days. It was a very different country with a very different ideology. She was a young queen. I think everyone fell in love with Queen Elizabeth because she was, she was so beautiful. She was so young. She, she became queen so early, far sooner than she ever expected. And I think for a, 
a nation that had been so splintered and fractured and damaged by war, this moment of coming together, this sense of community, of rallying behind this, this beautiful new young queen, a young mother of two, was an exciting opportunity for most people. Um, many rushed out to buy television sets for the occasion. Right, it was the first televised coronation. It was the first televised coronation, absolutely. And so that in itself made it such an iconic moment. You know, you look back at those black and white pictures, um, you look back at that footage of, of the Queen in the, in the gold state coach, and it, 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 it was an incredible moment. And, and of course, you have to wonder whether this coronation is going to live up to that momentous occasion back in 1953. I think it will. I think it's going to look different. I think it's going to feel different. It will be different. That is the beauty of monarchy. It has to evolve. It has to move on to stay contemporary and, and to stay modern. And I think we'll see that reflected in the service on the 6th of May. I mean, living up to Elizabeth's reign in general, it's sort of, it, it seems like it's a feeling of this moment because she was queen for 70 years. She was the longest reigning monarch in the history of the country. And Charles, therefore, has been waiting so, so long to be king. And I guess I wonder, how do you think that is influencing the feeling around this moment? for him and, and for the country. In terms of, of for Charles as, as king, we've had some time now to get used to him as monarch. We've had his first official Christmas broadcast, which for many people is a strange moment because we've always had the queen in our living room talking to us on Christmas Day. But actually the transition for me, I think, has, has felt quite seamless. And I feel that Charles has very much stepped up to that, that role um, in a very effective way. So... Um, I, I, I think there is a lot of goodwill towards him. I think the the general mood in Britain, we're just beginning to get excited about the coronation. It always takes us a while to get warmed up. But as I walk through the streets of London, I'm seeing flags, I'm seeing bunting, I'm chatting to people who are organising street parties or just planning to come into town to be a part of it, to go and watch the service on one of the big screens that's going to be erected in Hyde Park. And when you think back to 1953, the way that People would clamor around, perhaps a neighbor, if they didn't have a television set themselves to witness this moment. We're going to see something on a completely different scale. I mean, this coronation has an emoji all of its own. It's going to be streamed and watched in so many different guises. But I think, actually, most people are going to want to watch it on the BBC, on their TV, if they can't watch it in person. And um, in that respect, it's, it's not going to be that different to 1953 at all. It's a it's a moment where people will be glued to their TV sets. I'm really feeling as you're talking the sort of push-pull of the the future, the present, the past, all kind of like, I don't know, battling it out here. You say there's this new emoji for the coronation, which of course is a first. There's the televised aspect, which recalls the 1953 coronation. Um, I guess, you know, in the mix of all that sort of like past, present, future, I, I do want to just drill down for a moment on Charles himself. Can you tell me, who, who is this man who's at the center of, of this whole hubbub? Well, he's, he was the longest serving Prince of Wales. He, he served as Prince of Wales, the, the deputy you want, if you want, the, the heir apparent for 64 years. And so the man you saw as Prince of Wales is the man we have as king. It's not like he's had a personality transplant just because mm -hmm. he's become king. The things that drove him as Prince of Wales are the issues that he still cares passionately about. He cares deeply about the future of, of the next generations and the generations to come. He cares about the planet. He wants his legacy to be as the eco-king, the green king, who, who did everything he possibly could to, to preserve and conserve the planet. I think he's a man who we've all grown to respect far more over the years when you consider the issues and the campaigns that he was um, 
actively talking about many years ago. He was seen as a bit of a joke. He was, he, mm. People didn't take him seriously. Things like environmental sustainability that now look sort of prescient, yeah. And, and now he's been proven to be so right on so many things. But, you know, there was a time when he was at the bottom of the polls. He wasn't popular. And Camilla was reviled. I mean, if you think back 20, 25 years, it was a very, very different picture for Charles. A time when actually, you know, many people thought he wouldn't make a great king. Well, fast forward you know, 25 years. And here we have a man who I think most people would agree is better equipped, arguably, than any previous heir to take on this role because of the long apprenticeship he's had. One thing as you're, as you're speaking about all of that that I'm thinking about is that, you know, whenever you talk about the royal family, a long, long history is sort of never far out of frame, of course. Like that's part of the point of the institution is to refer back centuries And then with Charles, he has so much personal history that he brings to this job too. I mean, of course, as you're alluding to his marriage to Princess Diana, the dissolution of that marriage and her death, that was all a low point for him in terms of his public life. And now he has become king. And a lot of time has passed even since that moment, which feels like relatively recent history. And it feels like he's having his moment. So I I think this feels like Charles's moment, you know, the job that he's waited his entire life to do comes at a point in his life when he's happy, he's happily married, he's got the woman he's always loved by his side. You know, the, the late queen expressed that it was her wish that Camilla became known as queen consort. Well, we now know that she's going to be queen Camilla. Uh, but we haven't had a king and queen since George VI and, and Queen Elizabeth. So it's a new landscape for all of us. And, you know, you made the point earlier about following in the reign of Elizabeth. I mean, how can anyone follow that great example of service, duty, and devotion to her subjects. But I think Charles is going to have a pretty good job at doing that. And the point is, he's going to be doing it his own way. And I think that's where we'll see differences. Well, let's talk about that in terms of the coronation itself. So this ceremony is going to be taking place at Westminster Abbey, which has held every single coronation since 1066, which was just an unimaginably long time ago. Mm. But Charles, as you're alluding to again, has he's kind of talked about modernizing the monarchy. He's very concerned about sustainability. He's concerned about not being a drain on the, on the British taxpayer, you know, especially at a time when people are struggling economically in the country. So I guess what I'm wondering is sort of, how do you think we can expect to see that in the coronation? What, what do you think we'll see that will feel old? And what will feel new? Well, I, I think, you know, the Abbey will feel old because that's been the, that's been the venue for coronations, uh, you know, as, as long as time goes back. Um, the structure of the service, when you hear some of those hymns and some of that very evocative music that's so synonymous, Zadok the Priest, you know, that is that sort of spine-tingling piece of music that you absolutely associate with, with the coronation, with all things royal. So you're going to get that sense of history that sense of ancient ceremony and ritual um, through the incredible regalia that we're going to see, not behind glass cabinets at the Tower of London, but there in real life, you know, the St. Edward's crown on top of the head of our new king. And, you know, these are going to be moments steeped in history and bearing great historical significance, but we're going to see elements of the new, elements of the modern. There are going to be leaders and representatives from all different faiths who will be part of the procession into Westminster Abbey. Um, You mentioned the word sustainability, and that keeps coming up in all the palace briefings that we've been having. And they've been at pains to point out that rather than have new robes that would be a great expense commissioned and and made for the king and queen, they're going to reuse um, some of these 
very, very old vestments that, have, that date back hundreds and hundreds of years. And so I think, you know, that, that will, I'm sure, resonate with a lot of young people who will hopefully see how modern this king is because recycling, reusing, sustainability, it's, it's everything that, that Gen Z care about. And that's important because Gen Z is where Charles really needs to get greater level of support. You know, that 18 to 24-year-old age group that really can't quite understand why we have a hereditary constitutional monarchy and, and perhaps don't really understand the man who's going to be wearing the crown. Yeah, one specific thing that I think encapsulates this really well is at the moment when Charles is anointed with the holy oil, that's historically whale oil, but he's doing something different, right? Yes, it is. It's not a whale oil, but it's got some sort of extract from whale vomit. It's p- quite oh, peculiar. Wow. I've never heard of yeah. such a such a thing. But um, you know, he he's gone for something that is um, more eco friendly, more sustainable, and doesn't involve any cruelty or any whale vomit, which I'm sure will probably please a lot of people. People will really be thinking about the monarchy and what it means and what it is in this moment of coronation. And perhaps thinking back to the last coronation in 1953, I'm curious, what do you think the monarchy means in England today? And and how has that meaning changed since the last time we did this? Well, I mean, the monarchy has has had to evolve. And, and the queen, while she kept to so many of the traditions of, of her parents and generations before her, also knew that the secret to the success of monarchy was evolution. And she did it in a very considered and careful way. Um, I don't think Charles has that benefit of time on his side. I think he's going to have to make an impact more quickly. Everything about his reign is different. The fact that he's not going to be on the throne for so long, the fact that Britain is such a different place to when it was back in the 50s. Um, But again, I do feel positive about the future of monarchy. I mean, I think when you consider that the king himself has has seen two prime ministers, you look at the the flux of the the British political system, the the scandals and the parties and everything else that sort of creates endless headlines um, in terms of the political world. You know, at the heart of our, of our unwritten constitution, the heart of Britain, is, is the monarchy. And it does represent stability. It does represent that sense of constancy. I think when you look back to a few years ago when we were in the midst of that global pandemic, I certainly remember being so assured by the Queen, by hearing her voice, by hearing her telling us as a nation that everything would be okay and that we would meet again. And it was as if hearing the Queen saying that made us all believe that everything was going to be okay. And I think particularly now in, in, in the fast-paced, modern, modern world that we live in, there is something very special about the ceremony and the pomp and the pageantry that come with the royal family. And of course, they are an endless source of fascination. Indeed. And I think the the sort of continuity that you're speaking about, I think people will feel that this weekend. Like a coronation moment like this, a ceremonial moment, it's all about that, about referring to these long centuries of history. It is. And you have to think about what the alternative is as well. Well, an elected head of state, that, that is the alternative. But, you know, it's a, that would be a very different road for Britain to, to go down. And I think most people would feel that they'd lost a sense of British identity if they were to lose the royal family. And certainly the polls that have been commissioned in recent days suggest that not only has Charles's popularity surged um, since he became king, but support for the monarchy 
is above 50%. I think the last figure was about 64% in favour of keeping the monarchy. And hmm. um, that's a pretty good stat. Katie Nichol, your book is The New Royals. Your podcast for Vanity Fair is called Dynasty. And I'm sure you're going to be covering the coronation, right? Are you going? I I will be there. I will be covering it for Vanity Fair. I will be covering it for NBC, The Today Show. We've got a wonderful spot looking right onto the Abbey. And I've never covered a coronation. I have done royal births, royal marriages, jubilees, sadly, two royal funerals, um, never a coronation. So I'm very, very excited. I'm excited to watch it. I'm excited to have this wonderful ringside seat to history in the making. Well, thank you so much for talking us through it today. It was great to have you on the show. It was lovely to join you and thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to History This Week. If you're looking for more royal history, check out some of our other episodes on Oliver Cromwell, the abdication of King Edward VIII and Henry VIII and on Anne Boleyn. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. If you want to get in touch, please shoot us an email at our email address, historythisweek@history.com, or you can leave us a voicemail, 212-351-0410. This episode was produced by Hazel May and Chloe Weiner. History This Week's story editor is Jim O'Grady, and this episode's sound designer is Brian Flood. History This Week is also produced by Julia Press, Corinne Wallace, and me, Sally Helm. Our senior producer is Ben Dickstein. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you back in our feeds at the normal time this Monday. Copyright 2023, A&E Television Networks, LLC. All rights reserved.